Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and then again every Thursday on YouTube as well and you're not going to want to miss it. Now for today's episode, as you guys can tell by the title of it, today we are actually doing something and talking about a case unlike any that we have ever covered before. Today we are discussing a case based around a man who is actually still on the run to this day. Up until last year, the man that we are discussing today was actually on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. And I find this case to be incredibly fascinating just due to the endless amount of theories that come out of it. And I cannot wait to hear what you guys have to say about it. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. Now, the man we are talking about today is a man named Robert Fisher. Robert Fisher was born on April 13th, 1961 in Brooklyn, New York, to his parents, William Fisher and Jan Howell. His father, William, was a banker and his mother was a stay-at-home mom, and together they had three children, including Robert, and Robert was the only boy. When Robert was 15 years old, his parents ended up getting a divorce, and when the divorce was finalized, Robert and his sisters ended up moving to Arizona with their father to start a new chapter of their lives. Now, I have searched high and low to try and find what the cause of this divorce was or what happened that would lead William to gain full custody of all three children. And I say that only because the percentage of fathers who gain full custody of their children is pretty low. It's definitely more likely for the mother to receive full custody of the children. In 1994, it was actually only a 16% chance that a father would get full custody. So that's why I'm making it a point to say that. And that's also why I was very curious to know what the cause of their divorce was. However, again, it's not public knowledge. What I will say is that it's speculated that Robert's mother walked out on the family because Robert had confided in several friends saying that his life would have been a lot different if Jan, his mother, had not left his family. So there is some speculation there on whether or not Jan just up and walked out on them. However, again, it isn't confirmed. Now, Robert and his sisters ended up attending Sahuero High School in Tucson, Arizona, and while moving away to a new state felt like a new chapter for Robert and his family, the divorce was incredibly hard on Robert. Robert was said to have been struggling the most out of all of his siblings when it came to the divorce, and he was very, very bitter about it. Now, after graduating from high school in 1979, Robert decided that he wanted to become a Navy SEAL. Robert thought that this was going to be something that he would be very successful in because he was a very active guy. He loved being outdoors, he loved rock climbing and hunting and fishing, and really thought that this was something that he would excel in. He ended up becoming a petty officer, which is a rank in the Navy, and he worked on the San Diego USS Bellew Wood ship until 1982, so he was only in the Navy for about two years before he was honorably discharged. 
Now, the reason he ended up leaving the Navy is because Robert ended up failing the exam that was necessary to pass in order to officially become a Navy SEAL. And when this happened, this was devastating for Robert. Robert was under the impression that this was going to be something that he could really excel in. He thought that he finally found his group and his people. And so to fail the exam is definitely something that caused a major shift in Robert's attitude and look on life. Many people who knew him personally said that this was the catalyst for his internal struggles and really the snowball effect that led to where we are today. So after Robert was discharged, he did remain in San Diego and he began working as a firefighter. He ended up joining a Baptist church and through a social group in the church is where he met a woman named Mary Jean Cooper. Mary was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. She grew up in a very religious household and was extremely close to her family. It was actually because of her family that Mary's lifelong dream was to become a mom. Growing up, Mary was incredibly close to her parents, and she just dreamed of having that same dynamic with her own children one day. Now, Robert and Mary really clicked in the beginning. The two of them started dating, and then in 1987, they ended up getting married and purchasing a house in Scottsdale, Arizona, located on North 74 Place for about $80,000. Now, together, Mary and Robert had two children, Bobby and Brittany. Brittany was born in 1988, and Bobby was born in 1991. Both Robert and Mary were thrilled when they had their children. Mary was finally getting to live out her dream of becoming a mom, and she was a very hands-on mother. She was always volunteering at her kids' schools, doing activities with them, taking them places. Her kids were her absolute world. And it shouldn't be any surprise that with both Mary and Robert having religious backgrounds themselves, that Brittany and Bobby were raised in a very religious household. Now, both of the children were really, really dedicated to their faith. And along with that, Brittany was incredibly smart, incredibly intelligent, and she was also very athletic. She loved playing sports in school, especially basketball and soccer. Now, Bobby, on the other hand, was more into the arts. He loved drawing. He loved painting. Anything that was really creative, Bobby was very drawn to. And he also loved fishing, which was something that him and Robert did quite frequently. Now, from everything I just told you, this probably seems like a very normal family, your very average picket fence type of family. However, as we know, everything is not always as perfect as it seems. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. So let's talk about Robert. 
Robert was known to be a very controlling person. It was said that Robert had two different sides to him. He had the side that he portrayed to the public and in social gatherings to his friends. He was very put together. He was very charming. But then there was the side behind closed doors. And behind those closed doors, which very few people knew about, it was mainly just his close friends, Robert was known as a cruel, control freak. Robert pretty much dictated and controlled every single aspect and element of his family's lives and of his home. When it came to his marriage, Robert had forced Mary to ask permission for pretty much anything that she wanted, including daily activities and also including conversation. Mary would have to ask permission to speak. Robert also wouldn't allow her to decorate the house. The walls had to be white and he would only allow certain pictures or paintings on the walls. Now, Mary loved to make quilts. It was one of her passions. And whenever she would finish one and want to hang it on the wall or put it up anywhere in the house, Robert would not let her do it and would force her to put them in closets and in boxes and hide them away. And this controlling behavior trickled on into his children as well. Robert was very embarrassed of his children, but more in particular, he was very embarrassed of Bobby. Like I mentioned earlier, Bobby was a kid who loved art, anything creative he was really drawn to. He loved painting and drawing and all of those things. And Robert, on the other hand, was very much the outdoorsman, athletic type of guy. And he was embarrassed that his son was not following in his footsteps. And because of that, Robert would ridicule Bobby any chance he got. Robert also had very bizarre behavior when it came to animals. Like I said, he did enjoy hunting and fishing, but oftentimes he would take it a step further. For example, one time while hunting, he shot an elk, and after shooting the elk, he went over to it, took the blood from the elk, and smeared it all over his face. There was a second time where Robert, who had a Labrador retriever at the time, set up his dog to fight a pit bull. Now, you might be wondering, why would someone do that? And the reason that Robert did this was because he actually wanted to shoot the pit bull, but he wanted to have a reason to do it. So Robert intentionally staged this fight between his dog and this pit bull, the sole purpose of having a reason to shoot the pit bull. Now, this next instance doesn't involve animals. However, it is equally as bizarre. On one occasion, Robert was walking through a park and came upon a family who was having a picnic. And he walked behind this family with a gun in his hand and shot the gun into the air just to scare the family. On another occasion, Robert had invited his friends over to show them his collection of hunting pictures. Now, these pictures were strictly of Robert dismembering and slicing up the animals that he had killed. And in some of the pictures, he was posing with the bloody weapons as well. Now, the friends that Robert invited over to show these pictures to were also hunters. However, they were even disturbed by the content that Robert was showing them. Now, like I mentioned earlier, Robert was incredibly controlling in his marriage. So as you can imagine, his marriage to Mary was not a happy one. Robert not only was controlling, but he was incredibly suspicious of Mary because he believed that Mary was having an affair with the church pastor. Neighbors said, quote, they did not have a happy marriage. They screamed constantly. Everybody heard it. 
You could even hear it in the house next door, and you never really heard him screaming, which was kind of weird. I mean, he had a way about him, but you never heard him scream. You always heard his wife screaming things like, you're worthless, I could have done better than you, we should get a divorce, end quote. So obviously the relationship was very tumultuous on both sides. Now you would think with the relationship being this allegedly unhappy and unhealthy that the result should be to get a divorce. However, divorce was not an option for Robert. Not only was divorce not an option because of his own religious beliefs, however, it was also not an option because of his own personal experience with his parents going through a divorce. Now in 1998, Robert ended up going to his pastor for marital counseling and in this counseling, he confessed that he was actually the one that had had an affair. I just mentioned how he was very suspicious of Mary about her having an affair with the pastor. However, Robert was the one that confessed to having an affair with a prostitute. Robert admitted that he had a one night stand with a prostitute that he had met at a massage parlor and that Mary was ultimately going to find out because he had contracted a urinary tract infection from the encounter. Now, Mary's close friends claim that she never came to any of her friends with this information, so it's not exactly clear if she knew or how much she knew. However, her friends did claim that Mary had alluded to some sort of issue that her and Robert were having and said that it was something that Robert was willing to work on and knew that he had to change. So it is assumed that the affair is what she was referring to in that moment. However, again, she never completely confessed to knowing that to her friends. Now, similar to Robert, Mary also was very protective of her family in the way that she never wanted her family to be perceived as anything other than perfect. She always protected Robert and she protected her family image. She cared about how her family was perceived to her friends and to the people in her church and just to the public in general. And it was very clear to Mary's friends that Mary was strictly staying in the marriage for the sake of her children and didn't want her children to grow up with divorced parents. So this all brings us to April 9th, 2001. I know you guys were probably like, where is this case going? But this brings us to April 9th, 2001. Now on this day at around 10 o'clock PM, a neighbor from the Fisher family reported hearing a loud argument coming from the Fisher household. The argument ended up starting at around 10 p.m. on the 9th, like I said, and shortly after that, there was nothing else heard from the house. However, that leads us to the following morning at around 8.42 a.m. when there was an explosion at the Fisher household. The Fisher house had exploded into flames and it was powerful enough that the brick wall at the front of the house completely collapsed and neighbors as far as a mile out from the house felt their own houses shake. The flames were about 20 feet high and actually began spreading to other houses before the firefighters arrived, so neighbors were out in their front yards with their hoses just trying to subside the flames. Now, once police arrived on the scene and they were able to tame the fire, authorities were able to figure out that the explosion was a result of the gas line in the back of the house's furnace being pulled. 
Now, once police arrived on the scene and they were able to tame the fire, authorities were able to figure out what they believed to be the cause of the explosion. Now, authorities were able to figure out that the gas line that was located in the back of the Fisher home had been completely pulled. So because of that, the gas was filling up the house and the gas was ignited by a candle that was allegedly lit by Robert Fisher hours before the house had actually exploded. So to break that down, allegedly what police believe is that Robert had pulled the gas line from the back of the house and lit a candle and left it in the middle of the house. That way, when the gas had filled up the house, the gas would reach the lit candle and it would ignite the explosion. Now, when the firefighters were able to put out the fire and authorities started walking through the house, that is when they discovered the bodies of Mary, who was 38 years old at the time, Brittany, who was 12, and Bobby, who was 10. All three of their bodies were found lying in bed, and a medical examiner was able to conclude that Mary had been shot in the back of the head while Brittany and Bobby's throats were slashed from ear to ear. So now police have an exploded house and three bodies. However, one thing is missing, and that would be Robert. So the murders are believed to have occurred on the night of April 9th, 2001. And by April 14th, 2001, Robert Fisher was officially named a person of interest in the case. And to this day, he is the only person that has been named a person of interest. After taking a deeper dive into their marriage, police theorized that Robert allegedly figured out that Mary finally was going to leave him and file for divorce. They then believe that due to the trauma that Robert experienced when his own parents divorced, that Robert was trying to protect his children from having to go through what he went through. Not sure how much I believe that considering he quite literally slashed both of his children's throats from ear to ear. I don't know how much that is considered protecting. However, let's keep going. So police are theorizing that Robert killed his kids and killed Mary because he didn't want to have to deal with a divorce. But now the problem is that Robert was missing. Now what police knew was that Robert had used Mary's Toyota 4Runner car as his escape vehicle, essentially. And the reason that they knew that is because police were able to confirm that on the night of April 9th at 10.43 p.m., Robert Fisher was spotted on an ATM camera where he withdrew $280 from the ATM. So when he went to the ATM to withdraw this cash, in the surveillance video, police can see Mary's car in the parking lot. So that's how they were able to figure out that that was the car that Robert was using, along with the fact that the car was not in the driveway. Now, by the time that Robert had gone to the ATM at 10.43 p.m. on April 9th, police believe that the murders had already taken place. They believe that Robert had already pulled the gas line, that he had already lit the candle, and that the murders of his wife and two children had already taken place. 
Now on April 20th, 2001, police were able to actually find Mary's Toyota 4Runner. They discovered it in the Tonto National Forest, which is over 100 miles north of Scottsdale. Now, and to make this case even more heartbreaking, when authorities discovered the car, they also discovered the Fisher's family dog, Blue, inside of the car. Now, luckily, Blue survived and they were able to take him to a shelter. And when authorities searched the inside of the car, they found human fecal matter near the passenger door and a hat that Robert was seen wearing in the ATM footage inside of the car as well. Now, because they were in a national forest, police searched through it high and low, looking into different caves and different hiding spaces. And throughout the years, professional cave searchers had gone and looked through different caves just to try and see if they can find Robert. However, there has never been any sign of him or any sign that he had ever been there. The only piece of evidence that police have to show that he was in that park is Mary's forerunner. Now, the specific area that the car was found in was actually an area that Robert was very familiar with. Shortly before the murders, Robert and his friend had actually gone camping in that same area. And now Robert's friend believes that the only reason that they went camping in that area to begin with was for Robert to scout it out and find a potential spot to drop the car off at. Now, when looking around the area where the car was to find footprints or anything of that sort, police did find footprints that walked off near the Fort Apache Indian Reservation. And when they tried to follow up on that lead and see if anyone from that area recognized Robert or had any sightings of him, no one was able to give them any information when it came to that reservation. No one had seen Robert, there had been no sightings. However, when the public was made aware of the car in the forest, a tip came in from a woman who said that she saw a man who looked a lot like Robert Fisher just walking along the side of the road right near the National Forest. However, this was a really hard tip to follow up on because police had no idea who this man was, what direction he was walking in, and so because of that they could never confirm this tip to be true or not. Now on July 19th, a state arrest warrant was issued in Phoenix that charged Robert Fisher with three counts of first degree murder, as well as one count of arson. And then on June 29th of 2002, Robert was named by the FBI on the top 10 most wanted list. He was also on the TV show, America's Most Wanted, and the FBI was offering a reward of up to $100,000 for information leading up to his arrest. And this was not one of those cases where police were not getting many leads or tips, it was actually quite the opposite. The police were getting hundreds of leads constantly. However, all of the sightings that they followed through on were either inconclusive or just false. There were even instances where people who had lived in Robert's old neighborhood claimed that they saw a man who looked a lot like Robert driving through the area. However, again, those leads were never confirmed. Now in February 2004, there was a man who had such crazy resemblance to Robert that he was actually arrested in Canada. They both had similar dental work on the same tooth as well as the same scar on their back. However, the fingerprints did not match and a relative had to identify this man to prove that he was not Robert Fisher. And in terms of the fingerprints, because I know I had this question, if he was able to alter his fingerprints to get the DNA off of them, 
Police did look into that and they said that there was no scarring or anything to suggest that his fingerprints were altered in any way. However, to this day, that particular man's identity has not been released. Alongside that, there were also two other reports, one in 2012 and one in 2014, where police got tips that Robert Fisher was hiding in different houses in Arizona and one in Colorado, and both of those houses were raided, but there was no sign of him anywhere. So that brings us to just last year, November 3rd of 2001, when Robert was actually removed from the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. However, even though he was removed from the list, he obviously is still a very wanted man. Now, there have been a lot of theories in regards to Robert and what could have happened to him or where he could possibly be. There are many people who believe that he committed suicide in the national park and that his body was just never discovered because either animals got a hold of it or it just naturally decomposed. However, again, with how public this case was and how many people were searching that national park looking for him, the odds that his body was laying somewhere without being found ever to this day doesn't seem very likely. However, a lot of people have contradicted the suicide theory by saying that if he was going to commit suicide, why would he not just simply commit suicide in the car that he drove into the park? However, with both of those theories being up in the air, I do wanna say that this national forest is huge. To give you an idea, this national forest is 2,873,200 acres. So even with all of the people coming and searching for Robert, as much as we want to believe that the public could have found him at some point, that is a lot of ground to cover. 2 million, over 2 million acres. Now, a lot of people have said that when it comes to Blue the dog and the suicide theory, I just can't think of a plausible theory other than he wouldn't want to traumatize his dog by having his dog sit in the car with his dead body. Other than that, I can't think of any plausible reason why he would go to a different area of the park to commit suicide. Now, there's also the theory that Robert was able to sneak away and start a new life under a new assumed identity. Again, it's possible. There have been a ton of different altered photographs and age progression photographs of Robert leading up until very recently. And if he is still alive today, he's only 61 years old currently. Like we've mentioned throughout this entire case, Robert was a very outdoorsy type of guy, and it's possible that he could have used the skills that he knew through that to help him survive in the wilderness for a period of time. People have theorized that he could have moved into a small town, changed his name, and work in a job that only pays cash. That way he would be able to still be under the radar. The FBI has profiled Robert Fisher as the type of guy that is arrogant and a know-it-all, but also a loner. They also believe that if Robert is still alive, that it's possible that he will slip up and his identity will either be revealed or he will slip up and he will commit a crime again. However, it's been 21 years since Robert Fisher murdered his entire family. So the fact that we still have no idea and no clue where he is, it does feel a little bit hopeless in terms of this case being resolved. However, I'm very interested to hear what you guys think about this one. I don't know where I fall. I think it's very possible that he walked off into the forest and he ended his life. I think it's possible that he walked out of the forest that day, hitchhiked away and started a new life somewhere. 
Robert got a head start on April 9th. He allegedly committed the murders on April 9th, and authorities weren't called to the house until about 8.45 a.m. the following day. So that gives him plenty of hours to take money out of the ATM, drop his car off in the forest, and hitchhike off to some other town. However, if that was the case, you would think that someone would come forward and say that they saw Robert or that they helped Robert or they gave Robert a ride somewhere. Now, like I said, I don't really exactly know where I fall on this case, but I'm very curious to see what you guys have to say about it. So let me know what your theories are, what you think happened to Robert. I think we can all agree that this is a massive tragedy, no matter how you look at it, this is horrible. And Mary, Brittany, and Bobby deserve justice no matter what. So let me know what you think. And with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah. I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and then again every Thursday on YouTube as well. And you're not going to want to miss it. I'll be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, stay safe. Bye, guys. Bye.